Welcome to the Hotel Analyst podcast. Each week, the pair of us here at Hotel Analyst sit around the desk of insight to give you our thoughts on important matters of the moment. Uh, I'm, my name is Chris Bound. I'm the editor of Hotel Analyst, and I'm joined, as usual, by Andrew Sankster, the editorial director. Now, for the second week running, we make no complaints about the fact that we are speaking once more about coronavirus and its uh, massive impact on the hospitality sector. Uh, but we will be turning to other topics as well later, so do bear with us. So let's kick off by uh, talking about that very issue. Um, and Andrew, I think you wrote a piece earlier talking about how bad, and you're also perhaps considering now how long and this centers it's a love debate luv what what's the recovery going to be looking like is it an l-shaped is it u-shaped is it v-shaped um it's looking more and more l-shaped unfortunately which is the all-round bad news i mean this is just unfathomably bad in terms of uh, an impact because it's you know what you normally have is some rash you know is, is some degree of downturn so you just scale it accordingly but this isn't a downturn this is a cessation of trade as we know it i mean in the uk um they've just formally announced that all the hotels are, are too shut unless they've got permanent residence um it doesn't get much worse than that so you know all these people measuring revpar we you know what's the point because <laughs> we know mm. what the answer it's is pretty near zero <laughs> yes it is if it's not already know. it's there coming soon <laughs> uh, when it's you know when the best case as a hotel owner is to um you know apply to the national health service to be either a quarantine center or as a uh, as a reserve hospital that just shows you how bad things are or to um, house the homeless another challenging yeah or oh, indeed ig yeah that's yeah. a nice nice um, initiative actually um but yeah so you've got that kind of stuff going on but i mean otherwise it's it's just gruesome now perversely i think whilst this i mean just just in, in terms of that i think the i mean who knows i mean in terms of numbers capital economics have said it's a 15 percent drop in gdp um for q2 i mean i think it's even even worse than that it's going to be even worse than that um, um, so, but I mean, it's almost it's beyond usual metrics, really. This, this yeah. the, the scale and depth of this, especially so for our sector. I mean, it's you know, flights are grounded. Um, the airlines are grounded the hotels are shut the restaurants are shut the pubs are shut there's you know hospitality is has literally closed down um we've got new control measures here in the uk last night um with a very somber looking boris johnson um prime minister but uh and you know i i just don't see i mean they're talking about a few weeks but realistically this is going to be 12 weeks in a full-on lockdown i think and um beyond that it's this on again off again on again off again sort of scenario until they've got some sort of solution for for dealing with the 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 um, virus and uh, that that's going to be a combination i think of coming up with a vaccine eventually but and, and having some sort of viable treatment options and having scaled up the health service sufficiently to cope with all the um, patients that are likely to come out I mean, it's interesting you look across the water at um, the us and i see old donald trump is um is currently suggesting well well maybe we ought to just call it a day and get on with life and to heck with it I'm, I'm not sure that's politically viable but i mean it's it's interesting he's having that kind of debate i think it's a debate only he could have but uh, um and only yeah. with himself yeah yeah yeah, quite, yeah. Yes. 
um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it, that perversely because it is so so bad, it, it kind of gives me some degree of hope in that in that what we have to have it, it is such monumental government intervention to to keep everybody you know from drowning in this um, that. Uh, it, that there's going there has to be rescue and there's going to be rescue pack packages above and beyond what we've seen so far i think the interesting bits start coming out though when we start projecting forward so if we if we're talking about 18 to 24 months which is what um we talked about last week in terms of the length of time before we even get close to having a normal like um sort of hospitality market now sure things may open significantly before that i sure hope they do but in terms of the travel patterns and so forth they're not realistically going to get back to normal until all of the restrictions are gone and that's going to take that long at least i suspect until until the restrictions are gone um but what if you're looking at the macro picture what what we're seeing here is this huge huge government borrowing so it's going to shoot up to the kind of levels last seen in the second world war so it, it's it's not you know with um you know previously it was thought if once you get above about 90 percent um of borrowing against relative to gdp that's when you start having problems well forget that we're going to go into the hundreds of percent we're all going to be lo looking like italy and japan um in terms of government borrowing um going forward now i, I think in the medium term one of the big outturns of this is going to be that deflation's dead we're going to see inflation return and it's quite it's going to be a very different world as we come out um and there's good and bad news in that um the good news from a property owner perspective is that property is is one of the good hedges against inflation owning a real asset like property is quite helpful in that sort of environment so that's going to sustain demand i think for for property but it's going to be a very different operating environment i think mm. and uh, you know we're going to be looking at the whole bunch of this stuff you know over the next few months because i think we do need to sort of rather than focus on the continued tales of woe which we're going to get for the next months um i think we the focus we need to take and you know the industry needs to take is is what nature and shape the the industry's gonna be uh, in um mm ahead um and uh, in germany their hotel industry is very much geared around big events big fairs well i suspect that they're not going to prove that popular um yeah the problem is everyone gets used to zoom and discovers that they can do work remotely i, I think it's so but I, I think it's the yeah. it, it's the big scale events which are the problem i think people are still going to have to do face to face that's the nature of business and getting to know somebody you know you you, you need that interaction and um, that will come back albeit probably you know a couple of years away possibly um but but having a jumbo event the likes of mipim or expo real where you've got tens of thousands of people all gathered together in that I, I do wonder about that and if you look at the german hotel industry that's very geared up to cater for those sort of things and i suspect that's, that's going to be quite challenging mm. and you know that's really bad news from that point of view but i think the good news for germany is that it's a huge outbound market well people aren't going to be so super keen to go beyond their national borders i think we're going to see this retrenchment so therefore the domestic hotel industry um, is going to benefit from that increased demand from domestic tourism um, 
but the industry is not geared up to cater for that it's all these big box hotels in urban locations not ideal in terms of the domestic tourism market and i think the reshaping and changing nature of um, hotel hotel sector hotel demand is something which we're going to come back to again and again and broader than that and indeed in terms of our operational real estate which i know we've got coming up chris Mm -hmm. later on the podcast in a minute so but let's take well another topic first <laughs> i was going to say we, were, we weren't going to talk about german hotels but since we are but no let's move on okay <laughs> so we're going to we're going to talk a little bit more about the, the different brands and what they're doing to kind of cope with the uh, the crazy fall off in business um that's that's next isn't it mm, uh, yeah <laughs> yeah no absolutely i mean gosh i mean that, that uh, one of the most moving things i've seen in this this whole process is the address arnie Sorensen gave at Which, uh, you know that's that's available on youtube his message to associates but he was he was close to tears in that in mm, that it was that, very moving that, uh, yeah. um, commentary yeah, he made because yeah. it's obviously you know it's 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 dreadful to have to basically sack really really good people mm. Mm. Well, I mean, the, the great hope, of course, is that I think the U- the US is adopting similar policies to everywhere else in terms of enabling companies to furlough employees and bring them back online um, as as demand gets back to norm- normal. Um, um, so uh, I hope you know we're going to see that. I mean, inevitably there are a lot of people who are losing their jobs i mean for example scandic they've they've shed seven thousand of their people um recently i mean and that's a very enlightened employer like that um so i i you know that that is truly truly shocking period we're in with that but going back to the brand point i think the point uh, the, the, the what i want to say here is actually in times of crisis in times of difficulty big brands the strength of brand the reassurance a brand offers i think will have power or continue to have power and will have power for consumers and will have power for owners as well um, part of that's going to rest on the behavior of these brands during this crisis i think they've got to prove themselves very flexible with owners they seem to be a, a uh, adopting that approach certainly initially you know as things really begin to buy we'll wait and see but um you know what w- one of the things that's gone out the window with this is this notion of um of of how resilient the asset light model is i mean it's, it's certainly resilient but when trade goes to zero nothing survives so nobody can has that level of resilience and this is the point we're in now i mean most of the big players are are well capitalized we've got you know hilton drawing down one and a half billion dollars to shore up its balance sheet accor looks in a very good shape Marriott looks in pretty good shape ihg similarly they're all cash rich um and you know with with decently robust balance sheets so um they will still need some form of government assistance coming in here um i think they're, they're, they're going to get it i'd be very surprised if they don't get it um um it will see what happens um i think there's one of one of the things coming out of this crisis is going to be driven by the different approaches of the government so will the french for example nationalize as has been their tendency so the you know i i would be 
very surprised if Air France isn't national nationalised. I don't think that's going to be the approach adopted in the UK and the US. So there's going to be a quite a contrast there. What's going to happen with Accor? Is that going to be taken under the wings of government? Mm. It's going to get interesting, I think. As you know, and as that happens, and what, what sort of industry emerges post that, and then you've got all this demand. Um, patterns having changed and shifted you know what's it going to look like like that but I, going back to the the point about it's the big brands I think inevitably which are in the strongest position to weather this and come out in some sort of decent shape um, and as we've repeatedly talked about I think it's that it's particularly those those brands which are in the middle those which are not small enough and nimble enough to simply ride the waves um, but not at the same time big enough to actually you know be able to cope with the waves um, bashing them um i it, it's it, those mid-tier size there's some um businesses which i think are really going to be hit in this and um you know i it, 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 we'll wait and see which names come up but uh, um, we know who they are particularly if they are sort of a mix between asset light and you know asset right i guess where they uh, they're moving towards a more asset light model but they still have a, a significant amount of ownership particularly leases which is where there's going to be a lot of activity with our um, legal friends i yes. suspect and can i just chuck in what i think might be some good news uh which came mm. from the brands which was uh, both well hilton ihg and merit all gave uh, in their rather dreadfully downbeat updates about uh, about their businesses they actually gave us some good news about what's going on in china and broad, broadly speaking mm. all three of them said something similar which was about that about two-thirds of the hotels they had previously closed due to the coronavirus are now open once more they're not trading brilliantly but it was worth opening them and uh, the occupancy is beginning to move upwards once more so. yeah i mean i think that they that think that's that's certainly one to uh, the problem with china because of the nature of the government there and the control they have um i, I would rather keep an eye on places like japan and south korea where you've got more open democratic governments and where if you look at what the recovery is like there i think they're going to be the countries to watch if they can come back and start reopening um i will feel much more positive and maybe i've overdone the gloom <laughs> certainly the, the initial um, experience in hong kong where after two months they had a sort of released the pressure a bit but they then had another spike in um, infection rate so that, that that really fits the pattern that the scientific experts have warned us about so you know quite what's going on in china i don't know um, i don't think anybody has a clear idea outside of the country because um, um, it, it's not exactly what you'd call a transparent environment so um, it, it, it's more challenging to, to have a real real idea um, and, and how, how it transforms is going to be critical um, you know over the next few months um, but keep an eye on Japan keep an eye on South Korea keep an eye on Singapore those are the those are the territories which are very early in on this if they start coming out reasonably fast within two three four months that gives us hope that maybe you know we, we can start picking things up a bit more uh, by the autumn in, in Europe right now let's look a bit further ahead and a bit more a bit perhaps a bit more blue sky we're going to talk briefly about another area of operational real estate uh, the business of blended living What's blended living? I hear you say, well, the idea that you can perhaps build a community that might service 
of different variety of types of uh, of residential needs. It might include student, might include co-living, might include family living, and also potentially elder living as well. Um, it's sort of still at the concept stage, certainly in Europe. You might argue there are some parts of um, the American market where there are blended living developments. But what's interesting to me, it seemed, was that uh, there are some there's certainly some investor appetite for these types of developments. Uh, because they like the idea of being able to invest in something that's got a bit of a foot in various different uh, risk profiles and various different markets. And there's a nice sort of blended return from the blended living product. Uh, I, I think these are conceptually very solid. I mean, I think there's uh, there might be a bit of kickback after the virus. I mean, at the end of the day, do you really want to sort of elder living in the same space as, <laughs> as you know millennials or what have you? Um, we could obviously see the, the potential problems there, but but um, you know, hopefully this will be ironed out and we can. Um, and but there are huge benefits to having that. And planners, master planners, have long known that the best way to do this. Is to is to have a mix, um, which all bits of society then benefit from. And I mean, I've you know I've I've seen this. I've seen in Sweden where they've they've put um, in sort of uh, I guess an elder living block before we really had the term. Um, but they put in a few young families in there, and that made for a very pleasant environment for all concerned because that that there was that mix of different. Um, um, experiences and you know stages of life um and and that worked that that worked really well but it does have to be very tightly and closely regulated and i think the the, the point I'd, I'd like to finish on if we look forward is 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 about how this whole regulatory environment is going to have to be changed and reformed and i think this crisis is going to give us the opportunity to do that we 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 radically need to do that we need i mean elder housing has been appallingly regulated um overall i think i mean i've personally have um, had that of my mother-in-law i had to get her out of um uh, one scheme where she was going to lose hundreds of thousands of pounds and and we've recently just had to had to sell a, a property here in cambridge she bought into um where the the value destruction was what three hundred and sixty thousand pounds down to two hundred thousand pounds in two years and that's in cambridge in a booming city <laughs> so it's spectacularly painful yeah. um and very neckly done by the developer actually you know get it right because you know if you're going to have a resale like that so we're the first resale um that just puts every they're not going to sell another one there because <laughs> people will take a look at that and think well hang on a minute you know you're trying to flog me this at this price and this is actually what it's worth in the in the open market and you know they they need to fix this and this is gonna i think need proper regulatory control um to to get on top of this um i mean in the in, in the case in cambridge it was uh, um, a part housing association it was more cock up than conspiracy but uh, i do think there's some people who are a little bit sort of um sharpish shall we say in terms of their approaches in this area which is going to give the industry a sort of timeshare like reputation if they're not careful but anyway the point being i'm making is it's a chance for profound regulatory reform um you know things are very different we're seeing planning regulations thrown out the window at the moment so we're seeing pubs and restaurants which normally would never be allowed a takeaway license just overnight being granted a takeaway license and everyone being grateful for it <laughs> and just as we saw in the war you know change in environments like that 
um, forced you know uh, that were made concessions made in that wartime period actually carried on into the peacetime and i think we're going to see a bit of that here so some of these changes and i think you know what the industry has to do is make sure it's got a voice in this make sure it's it's being heard with the government and make sure that the 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 the, the opportunities are actually seized rather than rather than just um, well yeah certainly in the, in the uk there's a there's a big opportunity for the, for the planners to uh, to kind of get much more involved in this instead of divvying up a big field that they've just zoned for housing between different residential house builders to actually say well we we need we need a blend please can we have some elder living here can we have some family living there and and actually bang heads together and make it happen and uh yeah proper master planning because it's just i mean we've just had this infilling process going on in certainly in the uk but i think across europe generally um in built environments and um it it just you know there's something to be said for i think the the densification the planners and architects call it there's something to be said for that but it needs to be done on an organized scale to make sure you've got the infrastructure in place um we're beginning to see some of that up here in cambridge the the mayor of peterborough and cambridge he's pushing for rezoning of land between cambridge and milton Keynes, and and where that land's turned from agriculture to to residential use using the uplift of that at least part of the uplift um to fund the the metro rail is um, putting forward as an idea and the the roads and the schools and all those other bits of infrastructure you need and i think that's a very smart idea to do it at that point rather than put the current um, regime which is puts the onus on the actual developers and the house builders um, which is a bonkers idea effectively taxing housing at a time when you're actually short of the thing um, but all, all of this is open now I think and uh, it, you know it's challenging right now of course but I think going forward there's so much opportunity out there and it is at times like this where you know fortunes can be made as paradigm well as well. shifted and on that and on that positive mm. note Bye for now.